back to the topic. the topic, actually forgot it. What's going on, folks? Welcome back to the topics. It is your boy, Mac. Back again with Mila. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, man, I'm good. Hey, you're, excited. you're good oh you ready to get into it yes <laughs> okay perfect uh so we figured since it is february we uh might as well kind of you know do a black history episode and um you know kind of give our two cents about what we think of black history and how we reflect upon it so that's what we're going to be doing for the next at least 30 minutes or so um so yeah, let's let's get straight into it. I uh, do want to kind of give a, you know, a brief history of civil rights in America. So after the Emancipation Proclamation, you know, that was signed by uh, President Abraham Lincoln, that's whenever uh, slaves were actually granted, uh, you know, citizenship uh, to an ex one extent to another, one extent or another. And that's basically whenever civil rights pretty much kicked off because whenever slaves were emancipated and freed and uh, integrated into society, as you can imagine in a society that had that power dynamic, right? Where um, black people were basically second-class citizens or literally second-class citizens, it's kind of hard to try to get those basic human rights for people that weren't viewed as people for so long. So. Well, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and, you know, right after the Emancipation Proclamation and once all the slaves were officially freed, I think the, the last one was in Texas. That's where we get Juneteenth. Um, but, you know, after all that, there weren't necessarily laws barring Black people from holding office. And there was a huge boom right after that. And it allowed Black people to, like, there were, there were elected officials, there were full, like, there were full towns and businesses and and that's when we really start to see the dismantling uh of of black people in, in public space and um in white spaces because then we really started to see laws actively being put in place to bar black people from effectively making change exactly so you have the emancipation proclamation that was signed and you know, quickly after that, you have Reconstruction, which is the Black person trying to make their way in society. The Emancipation Proclamation, uh, I'm not sure if it was um, specifically promised in there, but it was stated by Abraham Lincoln that reparations were to be had, uh, the 40 acres and a mule, that was going to be imposed by the government. Um, so the slave owners wouldn't get punished except for their land being distributed you know, among the slaves. That's basically the extent of the punishment. Um, Abraham Lincoln got assassinated before he could carry that out. Andrew Johnson, he, uh, basically the vice president who took over, he, he said, you know, 
we're not gonna punish you, the slave owners like that. You know, we're just gonna free the slaves. We're not gonna put a penalty on you that hard. And yeah, so despite getting no reparations, black folks in America were, you know, skyrocketing economically. And we, we grew up in Oklahoma, we know about the black Wall Street situation. So it's not necessarily that black folks needed reparations to uh, prosper in this country, but you're, you're absolutely right on target whenever you say there were laws such as Jim Crow that actively you know, made it difficult for black people. It basically stifled the black person in America at that point because of, you can call it jealousy, you can call it whatever, but. Um, yeah, you can call it white supremacy, you can call it. <laughs> yeah, that too, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that seemed to be a huge oversight for uh for a lot of people uh, after reconstruction they were saying hey there's a lot of black people in positions of power there are a lot of black people uh making it in our economy uh begrudgingly so so then you have these black codes and you have jim crow being implemented mm -hmm. and really the first major push for civil rights because what are civil rights it's is basically the right of the citizen to exist in society basically as it's literally black people trying to you know tell their their white counterparts that hey you and i we're we, we're we're both american all the same, mm -hmm. yeah, both american all the same. so uh out of out of um obviously jim crow you have the plessy the american uh, plessy the ferguson i believe yeah. that was separate but equal and then years later, you get the uh, Brown v. Board of Education that reversed Plessy versus Ferguson, which allowed schools to become integrated. That was very important in civil rights because I believe the first movements kind of came about after that win, directly after that win. And we talk about the uh, the boys the the bus boycotts specifically. That was probably one of the first, um, you know, kind of coordinated uh, type of protests that were going around, I believe in the 50s. And we all know who Rosa Parks is. And there was a woman before her. Do you, do you remember her name? It was- uh, Claudette. Claudette. Colvin, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so- uh, She was a 15 year old girl. I think she was also pregnant at the time. And yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so it had been happening. It was a it was a coordinated movement. I think that's the big point, you know, is it was a very coordinated. Um, yeah, Rosa Parks didn't come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rosa Parks didn't come out of nowhere. This was a coordinated effort, and um, along with uh, Joanne Robinson and Mary Fair Burks, Mary Fair Burks, those three women, Mary Fair Burks, Joanne Robinson, and Rosa Parks, they spearheaded the civil rights movements. They spearheaded those those boycotts. They spearheaded those protests. And they ended up winning. They ended up, you know, um, protesting those uh, those like fair treatments and yeah, they protested those uh, those businesses successfully. Uh, they earned rights to sit wherever they wanted on the bus. And after that small win, but it is a win nonetheless, after that they uh, I have to look up the organization that they started, but they appointed Martin Luther King as their leader. 
of the organization that they started. So that's whenever Martin Luther King comes into the picture. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't start this. It was, it was, it was a trident of women who started this actually. So. Yeah, and, and I think it's even more important to point out just a, tr like a, I like that trident of women. That was really cool. Okay, but a trident of women, but also just like ordinary people. Like grassroots. Ordinary people. Right. Grassroots. So now we get to our we get to our uh probably the most popular black leader that has ever um that's ever kind of done activism in America and Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. Martin Luther King uh, did a lot of things for, for Black folks, and his speech gets cited uh, pretty much every day in February. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel about it. So uh, Martin Luther King, who is such an exceptional leader, he comes into the civil rights movement. Uh, you have a few words that you want to speak on about Martin Luther King and his role in, in the history of the civil rights? Um, I mean, I just like the few things I like to point out is that he had like a 25% approval rating uh, with like the majority of America by the time he died or was assassinated. And um, he was largely painted as a rioter um, and someone who like uh, only like only in our recent memory do we remember Martin Luther King as advocating against that. Um, because at the time he was blamed for a lot of like he was blamed for a lot of violence and like physical violence even though he actively spoke against it um other than that oh man you know me i like to interject so <laughs> you're absolutely right about that he he was blamed for a lot of the violence that was going on in that period but it wasn't him right it was just right. the, speaking up on it well and it wasn't him and we also have to remember like the violence done to the people protesting yeah. um yeah exactly we he speaks about police brutality and i think if you haven't like seen or studied or, or read what happened and how how people were treated um just as a result of being black but then especially trying to fight for civil rights not human rights civil rights not equal rights civil rights <laughs> like that's the crazy thing um you know it, it's a uh, it's definitely something to be noted right yeah so we have his most famous speech pulled up here mm -hmm. i have a dream speech this was one uh excerpt that you actually wanted to highlight uh yes. into the honors Yes, I'll go ahead and read it. So, um, 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. And those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. That's honestly one of my favorite quotes from this speech, um, just because it, it's a reminder to not be complacent and i would argue that we and did return to like the majority of america did return to business as usual and i think that that's why like you know this is again not an end but a beginning we see this all the time we are constantly having to fight for our rights that's why we have um not just black history month but like that's why we are actively acknowledging black accomplishments and achievements every day and that's why we're pushing to get it into the curriculum 
every day, not just in February when we gloss over like one line towards the end of this speech. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I actually do have uh, a part that I do want to piggyback off of uh, your excerpt. I believe it's right here. Um, so uh, this is the part that I want to read. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, and granted, at the time he was speaking in front of a crowd. So he says, uh, speaking here today, or by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. So Mila, you made a great point about the amnesia of America to kind of just forget about something, you know, as quickly as it's gotten here, basically. And I agree with you on that. Um, this, this, uh, these couple sentences really do kind of strike a chord for me, basically, because a lot of, a lot of issues in America as it pertains to the Black person, uh, they're kind of, um, in a way, they're just, it's, it's only for the Black person to kind of deal with it themselves, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. the issues of Black America are kind of only left for Black America to fix. And this is very telling because, you know, there are white people in the crowd listening to Martin Luther King. And the point that he's trying to make in this is basically saying, hey, like, like you're white, I'm Black, but we're both Americans you know like our destinies are intertwined just by being here today in this country like we're all countrymen you know like the race like the color is like so inconsequential it's just that you know we're all brothers and sisters of the same country and black issues are american issues that's really what it is that's that's really how I see this uh, in terms of civil rights and what people are, what people have been fighting for, if you really think about like what the civil rights are, they're, they're really just kind of basic things. They're really just the most basic things. Access to resources. It really is. I mean, who is it? Oh, okay. Okay. Well, there's, there's a comedian, Michael Che. He, he, he's always like, we weren't fighting for equal rights. We were fighting for civil rights. Like turn the hose off so we can talk. <laughs> which I don't know makes me giggle just because like uh, laughing and crying are similar for me but like it's also just really telling like we weren't fighting for equal equality we were like like in a sense we were but it's like can we sit here can like can we drink out of this fountain can we have access to cleaner water and you know what we're still having to fight that today right exactly and um and Martin Luther King, he does talk about it as well. He basically says, um, let's see if I can find it. He basically holds uh, America's feet to the fire. He says that um, right here, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It says all men. And mm -hmm. think about the flashpoints in this country. I mean, it's not, if you think about the context of the United States of America, it's not a very old country. It's only been around for about, you know, 1776, you know, technically. So uh, can, can you imagine slaves being around like 
pre-Declaration of Independence. And whenever it was drafted saying all men created equal and then seeing them still being slaves, you know, that, that, could, that could be extremely demoralizing. So basically what Martin Luther King is saying is just he's holding America's feet to the fire. He's saying Black people are Americans just like everybody else. You know, I heard, some, I heard somebody make the point about people of color, about how that just be so, bless you. <laughs> and there's like white people over here and then there's just people of color. They're just all in a group, you know, and that does make sense about how that could be just dismissive of the issues of people of color. Because people of color could be, you know, black, Hispanic, Indian, like it could be really anything. It could just be any kind of group. So uh, I thought that was thought that was very telling that uh, that all men are created equal. And you also said it earlier that um, <laughs> the I have a dream that one day our children will, you know, that was like at the very end of the speech. It is. It's like the last two minutes and and free at last is literally the last line. And I hear that all the time. I swear if I gotta see another one of those, <laughs> it's just getting yeah possibly posted by some corporate brand i'm gonna be really really pissed off <laughs> yeah so um in terms of civil rights uh that that literally is what it is it's him just saying hey like we're the same as you are so uh, is there anything you want to add to that uh i mean one thing that really gets lost when we talk about about civil rights um, just as a country is access to resources, access to food, food that won't kill you, food that like food that doesn't make you sick. That's a really big part of like, that was a huge part of um, colonization. We've even talked about that before on this very podcast is food colonization was one of the big, big like campaigns launched on indigenous Hawaiians, indigenous Americans, and black people in this country. And those are the three people with the highest diabetes rates, but only in this country. Everywhere else, they don't have those same issues. It's, a, it's an access problem, access to jobs, access to equitable treatment, access to water. Like, I think that that's one thing that really gets lost. And that's one thing that like, I'm really, really happy to see just like flourish in the current day is like the discussion about that. Right, yeah, and I definitely, I agree with you 100%. And speaking of present day, because it's not the 60s anymore, the country, <laughs> the country has made um, strides, like they can't be denied, like the country has come a long way from that time. But going back to what I said, because I didn't finish my point about the flashpoints in this country, we had a revolutionary war to become our own country. You know, that was, that was the first main flashpoint. We had a civil war, you know, we had a civil war in which the president was assassinated afterwards. We had the civil rights movement in which we had multiple leaders get assassinated as well. So, I mean, those are three major flashpoints that I could really think of in this country. And two of them had to do with race. It's, it's kind of like a dirty little secret. It is amnesia type of thing that does go on. Uh, there is a there's a separation, you know, they, they seem to separate race or the country seems to separate races in America instead of just kind of saying we're all Americans. And even we were talking, uh, we were talking off camera earlier this week and it's just kind of weird that the United States just has that nomenclature of Americans whenever there's 
so many North American countries, you know, mm-hmm. under the same type of rule. So it, yeah. it, it is a little, it's just a little, uh, <laughs> it's a little uh, stark, uh, the word that I'm thinking of. But yeah, fast forwarding to civil rights of today, uh, the present day civil rights um, is the uh, the movement for Black Lives is what I would say is the main thing. Uh, it looks like you want to get in. I was just saying, I really like that the movement today is very, very much focusing. And of course it did in the sixties as well, but focusing on those laws that don't explicitly say black, black people can't do this, indigenous people can't do this, but bar us out because statistically we end up representing the group targeted by that. Um, Example, I just learned like literally the other day that after slaves were freed, it then we then moved trespassing from a civil offense to a criminal offense, which meant that um, you know if black people had gone to work on the plantation that they used to be enslaved to, and then were like kicked off or not allowed to go there, them even crossing in that that was a criminal offense now, not a civil offense. So that ended up locking up black people for a longer amount of time. Of course, this also applied to poor white people. Of course, this also applied to indigenous people and other people of color who were like in the area at the time or uh, in America at the time, but it just disproportionately affected black people. And so like that kind of thing, like us looking at laws that don't say black people can't do this, indigenous people can't do this, Right. Looking at those and saying, okay, yeah, but statistically, here's what we're seeing. Right. How can we make this to where it doesn't disproportionately affect, uh, honestly, darker skin people, uh, which is which is really which is really an issue we're starting to see is a lot of colorism rising in our country, which we have seen all over the Americas and all over the world, but definitely like we're starting to see, like um, we're starting to really focus on that here as well. Yeah, you made a really good point um, about like the specific laws to change them from civil to criminal and like who those affected. You said it was it was blacks and other people of color, like the indigenous population, as well as poor whites. You mentioned poor whites, and that is a very important uh, distinction to make, because that's personally what I feel that Martin Luther King was assassinated for um, ultimately was galvanizing a larger coalition of people beyond color. He was building a class coalition or he was starting to. And that was the very dangerous thing about it. It went from strictly, not strictly, but you know, centered on black issues to centered on class issues. And whenever we do talk about today, the issue of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, that's kind of centered around Black folks feeling uncomfortable around police presence. And that's a historical thing. But whenever you hear critics of Black Lives Matter um, talk about, um, you know, one of their criticisms would be, that's ridiculous that black people are protesting this because there are so much more white people getting killed, you know, instead of, you know, like in my head, the wheels are turning. Well, this just sounds like a, a broad problem of incompetence by cops. Yeah. That's- yeah. Like we can make this a, make it a larger issue, but the critics want to say, Oh, black people pipe down. It's happening more to white people. So why are you so upset? I feel like, like- the perfect reason to make a stronger case for yeah. police 
abusing their power. And I would say that Black Lives Matter, um, the one thing that I may not disagree with them about is just the, the wording of it, the presentation of it, because although I do feel like it's important to center Blackness, because these are largely Black issues, the Black people are the people that care about it. Um, it is a larger societal problem. You know, it's, it's more along the class spectrum because, you know, there are poor whites that do get abused by, black, uh, by the police officers and all that. So I just think the word choice could have been more inclusive, but I think their point was to just bring awareness to the black lives being lost at the hands of cops. Because if you, if you put those numbers into context, black people are dying at a rate of three to one compared to the white people. So. Right. Yeah. And like, I think that it has to be centered because I agree when I heard it, I was like, man, white people are gonna be pissed about that because they always feel like they're left behind simply because we don't have to mention race when we talk to them. They're the default. We don't have to say like, if we say lives matter, you're gonna think of a white person, not necessarily. But like, if we if we make that's the thing, if we make a law saying like lives matter, well, you're going to be able to break those up into sections of minorities because we have to think of minorities in their in, within like their respective groups, but we don't have to think of white people like that. But um, right. I totally I totally agree. Like the reason we have to center it though is because if we don't, well then black people and especially like those that are extremely underrepresented, like like dark skin trans black people, like they will be completely left out of the conversation. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, um, see if I can bring back what I was thinking of, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I lost my train of thought that quick. Um, uh, I agree with you that um, uh, white people, like, it's, it's important that they uh, be included in this, but like the center of Blackness is the main thing about it. Or the main thing about the movement is to center the blackness in it because those are the lives most most impacted from it. Um, I feel that uh, looking at this movement today is just um, it is another case of um, I would say amnesia in in the general population, along with a. Um, along with like a hostility, it's like a us versus them mentality. I feel like the Black Lives Matter movement has no leaders like the civil rights movement had back in the day. Well, what's interesting about that is it's actually a trifecta of women who started Black Lives Matter. Okay. Uh, so what we could be seeing, well, and that started in like what, 20, 2012, um, right after Trayvon Martin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what we could be seeing is those, that trident of women ultimately like and and I will admit like Black Lives Matter has taken on a whole new like it doesn't need the leaders it's kind of taken on itself but I really think what we're gonna see is a we're seeing a lot a lot of organization and we're seeing we're seeing it organized but we could just be seeing it in real time so it feels like it might be taking a little bit longer but it's what's great about it is it really is like we're starting to see the ripple effects in a lot of different places. Um, not like they haven't been doing their own work, but simply because America is making this like 
very, very well known and seen, like we're seeing it around the world, much like after the civil rights movement here, we started to see like people in, in South Africa believing, okay, you know what, apartheid needs to go. And people in, in like the Philippines and Indonesia thinking like, okay, well, you know what, like darker skinned people are having a harder time here. We need to fight for civil rights. Right. Uh, so we're starting to see a ripple effect of it that too. But anyway, I just wanted to say like trifecta of women. I do agree with you that Black Lives Matter, the movement has reached more people in a global context. Um, the movement itself, personally, it feels reactionary just because even if they are doing things behind the scenes, you only really see mobilization after a tragedy happens. And you have people that do donate to the movement and there are legitimate questions as to where the money's going, what the money's gonna be used for, because they could easily create a pack for themselves, a political pack for themselves, and actually fund campaigns of politicians that would run on the issues that they wanna see change in. But I don't actually see that type of mentality in the Black Lives Movement organization. You know, like, I, I don't, I'm, a, I'm an ally. I'm an ally, I just don't really see the wheels turning like that, you know? Like I see people critiquing their um, um, their mission statement about like destroying the nuclear family and all this. And I don't, really, I don't really feel one way or another about that, but my criticisms do come from not really having a, a leader in place to look towards, you know, like those women, they're still under the veil of the Black Lives Matter movement. I know who you're talking about. I can't recall their names. I only remember Alicia Garza is, is the main one for me. Right, so um, I would just personally wanna see more organization instead of just being on the streets because after a while that does kind of, it gets to a point where that's- um, Like what next? Yeah, like what next? Like, oh, uh, this is kind of getting old. Like people get numb to it, basically. People get yeah. numb. Oh, another, like they kind of anticipate what's gonna happen after after a shooting. Like, oh, this again, you know, like they don't really take it seriously. Even though it's there, Yeah, there was a, um, mm, hold on. I saw something the other day. This is gonna take this, is, oh gosh. It was like, um. It was like the rates of police brutality decreased over five years after large scale protests erupted in major cities. So like from 2016 to now, you've seen like a decrease in, forgot the numbers. I wanna say NPR did a story on it, um, but it was like a certain amount of decrease after protests. That being said, I completely agree. Um, a lot of it does feel very reactionary. However, we are also seeing like, a lot of those donations are actually going to bail people out yeah. from protesting, but it's also like, I don't, it's also going towards like, um, like efforts like what you saw in Georgia or like with what Stacey Abrams did in Georgia. Um, and I actually, and I don't know, I think that you're going to start seeing a lot more organizing going on, but I also think that like, unfortunately we live in like a huge, um, like information black hole <laughs> uh, yeah where like the news cycle is like um like it just kind of the news it's, comes up and it's like gone like that you know like there's no follow-ups 
everything just happens so fast, you know, you get oversaturated by information. You don't really know what information you should be latching on to. That's what I feel like. You don't know what information is important or not because there's so much information out there in the world. And I think that is a big problem, but I think it's good that there is easily accessible information to be had. It's just the sifting through it is the problem, I, I think is the biggest part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I do take offense, I do take a little bit of offense to like no real leadership. That's not the main issue because the movement itself is on point in terms of what they're asking for. But there's not really anybody like to to like to. yeah to look to but there's like no really fearless leader that will say whatever in any circumstance you know there's no fred hampton there's no malcolm x you know there's no person that's willing to put their life on the line for a movement right i think i think it's interesting because the difference is like it's um I think the difference is like it's maintaining its grassrootness and that like we're seeing different people like use the platform to help the the cause but it's not necessarily the same person over and over again and I think it's kind of like I think it's kind of neat to see it's like grassroot movementness doing that because it is just like ordinary ass people we can cuss we can cuss ordinary ass people just like doing 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 what they need to do and what they see fit for their liberation but um what i was gonna say is like back to what i was saying earlier of like what we're seeing now is a lot of focus on laws and deconstructing laws that disproportionately affect black and indigenous people um in the united states is like i think that's where black lives matter is really like applying their movement is like paying like not paying attention to because that was the one of the biggest motherfucking things in the, in the second civil rights uh, in the 60s but like um did I say second I'm not gonna sit here and rate okay hold on sorry but that's like the biggest thing we saw is like paying attention to laws and deconstructing laws that disproportionately affect black people in the in the 60s it was really fucking obvious because there were legit white only signs it was a little bit more obvious what needed to be done but now we're having to convince people like okay like the fact that it is now like it is now a criminal offense instead of a civil offense to like like yeah. hick food on the side of the road or just to like trespass onto somebody's property like that affects like food security for people because ultimately what that did was that made like poor white people and black people and indigenous people criminals for trying to forage food for themselves yeah and there's also an economic that, that um the, the economic component that doesn't allow um for any type of mobility of these minority groups as well. I think I cut you off. No. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, uh, no, you're definitely on point with the, like the, you know, redoing the laws in order to, you know, criminalize individuals. You know? I just think that's what we're gonna be seeing. I think that that's what we're really seeing with like Black Lives Matter and with the civil rights movement today is like, deconstructing these laws that are not as obvious as black people can't sit in this restaurant and it's also a mentality uh going along with it because we were talking about uh, harriet tubman earlier this week 
and how she freed so many slaves, but she also says she could have freed so many more, but they were still slaves trapped in their mind. I think that's the mentality today. There's so many people that like refuse to take handouts. And I'm not even talking about black people. I'm saying just, you know, people in a certain class system, they wanna they wanna earn, they wanna earn everything that they make. They don't want any handouts from anybody, including the government who we pay taxes to. And if anybody gives us a handout, it would be definitely warranted from the government. But people people just refuse to like like take a handout people refuse to be give to be given anything they want to earn it and it's like you don't you don't have to you don't have to earn it you know like well, we, some of these things are like basic necessities yeah like, yeah. like healthcare you know like healthcare yeah like, like i mean just the other day in my city a homeless man froze to death oh wow like, literally just yesterday in my city a homeless man froze to death because we've criminalized homelessness and and our culture really does perpetuate this idea that like accepting help is a problem right and we what we tend to do in this country is we section every problem off to that specific group like the poor problem is it's it's a poor issue, you know what I mean? The drug problem, it's 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 the drug war, you know, where we can't stop like the black problem. Like they're all segregated, but these are all American problems, you know. These, these are all happening in the same country. They're all happening to Americans. Yeah, they're all happening in the two people who would like to be Americans. Yeah, they're all happening in the same society. So there's like there's a real disconnect whenever people are not thinking of their fellow citizens as you know neighbors as brothers and sisters they're looking at them as others like we have to opt like people of color have to opt into the white society or white communities instead of these communities just existing in the same america is it's it's the people of color you know the black people who are having to you know assimilate just like the natives had to and you know all that and that's not how it should be Right. And I think you really hit it on the head. You made it like, or you made the point of like, we think of all these groups as other, like homelessness as other, like black as other, which is really just a dehumanization problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can see and that. like, that's how you lead to like extreme atrocities happening to people who you don't think are human. Cause you're like, yeah, but like, yeah, <laughs> human exactly uh, also don't treat dogs like that either don't treat animals like that either not cool <laughs> but like please don't treat your people like that right i want to share this video real quick uh i'm sure some people have seen this is commercial uh so for those of you listening this is a i take responsibility so it's about two minutes i'm gonna play it through i take responsibility i take responsibility I take responsibility. I take responsibility for every unchecked moment, for every time it was easier to ignore than to call it out for what it was. Every not so funny joke, every unfair stereotype, every blatant injustice, no matter how big or small, every time I remained silent, every time I explained away police brutality or turned a blind eye. 
take responsibility. Black people are being slaughtered in the streets, killed in their own homes. These are our brothers and sisters, our friends, our family. We are done watching them die. We are no longer bystanders. We will not be idle. Enough is enough. I will no longer allow an unchecked moment. I will no longer allow racist, hurtful words, jokes, stereotypes, no matter how big or small, to be uttered He's in my presence. I will not turn a blind eye. Going for a job should not be a death sentence. Sleeping in your own home should not be a death sentence. Playing video games with your nephew should not be a death sentence. Shopping in a store should not be a death sentence. Business as usual should not be life-threatening. I stand against hate. I stand against hate. I stand against hate. I stand against hate. I will stand against hate in love. I will make my presence known. And killer cops must be prosecuted. They are murderers. We can turn the tide. It is time to take responsibility. Call out hate. Step up and take action. Have you I've seen never that? You've never seen that? Yeah, before. So. How do you feel? Perfect. How do I feel? Yeah, <laughs> right. tell you, it's a little terrifying to hear white people talk like that sometimes. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's like a little, like, I know they're not mad at me, but they're mad. And I'm like, oh. Um, <laughs> no, that was interesting. I mean, yeah. Okay, Robert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's one of those like I'm glad they came around. Yeah. Kind of things. I like seeing that kind of acknowledgement. It's really nice right. to see that kind of acknowledgement from anyone because you don't have to privilege from racism to perpetuate it. So like. It's it's nice to, it's nice to see, but holy shit, had not seen that before. Total surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, it's definitely a good thing that you have uh, white allies that are speaking up in defense of black people. I believe this happened after uh, George Floyd, which was last year. So, uh, a few problems I have with the video is that uh, one of the people he referred to, you know. I'm tired of black people being killed, you know, and we just talked about, you know, we're all Americans. Uh, no, oh. there's absolutely zero chance. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> <Whose video? laughs> yeah, um, I, know, I mean, you bring up a good point. Like we're Americans. It kind of sucks that like, like it's important to call out the fact that black people experience this at a higher rate, but it's a fucked up problem that like, Americans and other humans are being killed out of suspect. Yeah, and this is also what Malcolm X talks about when he talks about the white liberal trying to um, basically trying to be the uh, figurehead in the black movement. So you see all these white people made a whole commercial about how they were tired of black lives being lost, you know, after George Floyd was killed in a very uncomfortable way. But black people have been talking about this for literally decades and literally centuries, centuries. And then you have, you know, you have this, you know, group of white folks that 
you know, make this commercial and they say, we're tired of it. We're, we're, we're tired of watching this. You know, we don't want to see this anymore. I just, it's uncomfortable to see like, oh, now you're, now you're tired of it. Now you're tired of it. But what, but literally like a month and a half earlier when Ahmaud Aubrey was running down the street yeah. and like shot in his own neighborhood by like two vigilantes and one happened to be an ex-cop. Right. This is the thing about, yeah, this is the thing that he talks about. Uh, Malcolm X talks about white liberals trying to center themselves in Black issues. Like, somehow them stepping in will just make the problem exponentially better, you know, whenever Black people have been fighting, fighting, fighting for so long. And, you know, like we said, this is that that is a very good statement. You know, that video, uh, it's appreciated. You know, I'm you glad know. you got there. I'm glad you got there. <laughs> yeah, it was very much appreciated. But yeah, uh, whenever you're talking about these type of issues, like you do have to watch out if you aren't a person of color who is suffering at the rate of Black people to try to be the face of this movement. You know, it's it's it's, a, it's uncomfortable to see things like that, like you said. Well, and like some of it kind of feels like they're sad with seeing it. Right. Like they don't want to see it anymore. And they're, they now see it. Right. And it's like, it's so hard. It's so hard to see it, but holy fuck, try living it. Yeah. And that's what was going on during the sixties, whenever they were hosing black folks for just sitting down at diners, you know, that's, and, uh, Hey, um, sadly, I feel like that's usually the narrative uh, whenever it comes to change, it does take something tragic for actual change to happen, you know? Because we're all so hypnotized by... Go ahead. Uh, I just, uh, we're all just so hypnotized by, you know, success and money and capitalism in general. But but just success and, like, we're also hypnotized by this false dream and... Right, yeah. When you see something like this, it rubs up against that dream. Right, yeah. It does, yeah. So uh, to kind of just wrap this up, because I feel like we might have went in a bunch of different directions. We but might have, but you know what? Kinda, Black uh, history is everywhere. Yeah. This but, is like the smallest section of it. <laughs> yeah, we were just trying to tackle it from an angle, from a specific angle. Uh, we thought that we could talk about for uh, a little bit, but basically um, to wrap this conversation up, we um, uh, we we see the success that came about from the civil rights movement in the '60s, but we also see the cost of you know of this of what that success came from. I guess the cost of the success we see what it was basically. So fast forwarding today. Um, to try to kind of relate those lessons that we can learn from the 60s to today. It seems that we do have a large movement. We have a large coalition, but we don't have leaders on the right page. And I'm not saying that Malcolm and Martin and you know other leaders back then were on the exact right page. But they had their eye on a specific ball. They had their eye on the prize. Like they all had, you know, they were all going the same direction. I feel like black leaders today, there are some that are too militant. There are some that are maybe a little bit hesitant. There are also some that just do not believe that there's a problem at all. And that's a problem because 
there are Black folks like Candace Owens, despite how you feel about her. She's a Black leader. She has prominence in this country, and her voice uh, reaches way more people than ours do. So just by that logic, she is technically a Black leader. She's a Black woman, and her voice is portrayed by a bunch of different people. So I just feel like there's there's a real void in leadership. There is a real disconnect in Black people as to what we should be doing, what we should be fighting for, and whether we should be even fighting in the first place. That, what'd you say? Go ahead. Taking like the giant cost that we had towards the end of the civil rights movement and well, not the end, but the end of the prominence of the civil rights movement in the 1960s and 70s and is um a lot of a lot of our leaders were assassinated right and so maybe that's the strategy this time is like bitch they can't get us all <laughs> they they're trying yeah they can't get it oh oh yeah it's just i don't know you make a really good point you make a really good point um and like I think it's really important to understand those like black people are not a monolith like holy shit our experiences are so different depending on how you look and like how blackness was defined for like a long time in this country it was literally like if you have one drop of black blood you're considered black and that really diversified what it means to be black in America and the experiences that we experience like the experiences that each one of us have, like, same, yeah. Are there's yeah, and they're, they're so similar, but but like, ethnically we're all very different. Not to mention like, outside of like like you know like, ethnic like ethnicities within Black culture, like the Caribbean like Caribbean Black culture and African Black culture and recent immigrants and stuff. Like, descendants of slaves, we are hella diverse, like so so diverse, and a lot of that comes from like like laws that allowed us to practice like our own religion or laws that allow like and that shit varies state by state and honestly plantation by plantation sometimes like the oh <laughs> i just oh, think so diverse it is insane it is insane how diverse like descendants of slaves are and then whenever you add in all the ethnicities of black people in this country yeah exactly yeah and of course we're gonna have like difference of opinions because like we're gonna experience different stuff. Right. We're gonna grow up in different, in different like communities. Like I, I kind of think like, even though I grew up in Oklahoma, I honestly think that I had a pretty multicultural experience. And like, when I think back of it to it now, a lot of it was like indigenous kids telling each other how indigenous they were because of blood quantum and the way they looked. But it's, it's interesting. Like, I really do think like I had a pretty multicultural like experience in like my young age, just living in Oklahoma. And that's just because of like the different kind of black people I met. <laughs> and then also, and also just like, I don't know, Oklahoma is way more diverse than people get it, give it credit for. It's super segregated, but it's also super diverse. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, and I don't even think that there necessarily has to be leaders like Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. I just think there needs to be more people out there willing to speak truth to power, basically. You know, if they see something, 
pointed out, you know, and and the, the I take responsibility video, they they said it, you know, like I'm tired of just sitting by while this happens without saying anything. I just think there just needs to be more people that are willing to speak the truth into power and just to be willing to check people and, you know, things of that nature, because the civil rights movement, like we said, it's not asking for a lot. It's really just asking to be, you know, is that it's. It's basically a group of people asking for dignity in their society. Essentially, that's really what that is. And, um, uh, you know, like Martin Luther King says, uh, an injustice anywhere is a threat to injustice everywhere. So you can't just stop because things look good for you. And that's, that's another thing when you say the Black people aren't monoliths. We definitely aren't, you know, because I talked about Candace Owens and we definitely are not the same as Candace Owens ideologically, um, but that doesn't invalidate them and their Blackness. You know, Black people are multifaceted individuals. It's just, you know, it just needs to be more people willing to speak that truth into power. You know, I don't really know what else to say about that. And it kind of has gone more into a classist direction than racial because um, if you look at today, I mean, immigrants, you know, the immigrant population, they'd be considered technically the new slaves because they're coming in undocumented, taking whatever jobs they can. They're not getting paid minimum wage. So if you talk about civil rights in the present day, it's less of a racial thing and it's more along the class lines. So that's 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 the most important thing about it because whenever we talk about Martin Luther King's um, legacy and his I Have a Dream speech, he talked about an integrated society. And that's, that's literally what we're doing now. There's more and more people being oppressed, you know, economically than just black people today. There's poor white people, there's poor Latin American people, there's still poor indigenous people, poor immigrants coming in still and that I think that really needs to be where the grassroots comes in and starts. You know, it's it's along the class lines, not really the racial lines. It's really just kind of it needs to be a re-education of the civil rights. It needs to be like a civil rights 2.0, like, you know, like colorblind or something like that. Not colorblind, but I actually what's interesting though is I was gonna bring this up. Um, Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. She makes a very detailed argument of like ignoring class in black communities is how we got such exacerbation of, um, did I say that right? Yes, the last word Asian. Okay, anyway, such an exacerbation of like, of like poor exploitation uh, because we, 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 you know, it was a lot of it was like middle-class black people um, seeing like, seeing crime in their community and asking like for help with police enforcement and police enforcement's not taking into consideration class within the and the government not taking consideration the class in the black community but also like other people of color and um essentially making that a race issue instead of a class issue hey. it's interesting Anyone listening to this, I would highly, highly, highly recommend re recommend um, anything Michelle Alexander writes, but The New Jim Crow. Um, it's a long read. If you're like me, you might want to listen to it, but it's really, really good. 
Right. Yeah. Um, don't want to ramble on too much longer. I just want to make one more point to piggyback off of yours is that um, Black people, you know, we aren't a monolith. And um, the, um, you know, the, the Black bourgeoisie class, you know, the upper middle class Black folks, the, the affluent Blacks, um, just because they were afforded certain opportunities doesn't mean that those opportunities are afforded to every Black person. So whenever you see successful Black people and you ask yourself, oh, why don't other Black people emulate this Black person? Because it's, it's not that straightforward. It's just not that straightforward. You know, this Black person is the exception and not the rule. You know, this Black person apparently was accepted by by you know white society and you know in one way or another and um uh, there's this book that i was reading and it makes a really good point and this is what i want to finish on uh, a black leader a black leader uh they're above the fray of the black community and so far as them just being the leader of their black community you know they're looked upon by the black community but in the eyes of white people they get no general respect they're just looked at as another black person until they can offer some type of value to their lives and then that's whenever they get accepted from the white community you know so it's not until they yeah so it's not until they give you some type of value you know in their lives that you're accepted basically and that's that's whenever we get people like candace owens that say that she's never experienced racism and that it's not a big deal and that she's successful and you know find your boots and shock them up and get this money and all that stuff so just because you're afforded an opportunity doesn't mean those same opportunities are afforded to every black person because if they were you would see more black people in those type of positions it just it's not that straightforward so um that's what i want to end on if you want to have your last say on it you know you can i'm gonna hit you up for that book <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's really good but i think it's important to yeah point that out nice. perfect well uh this was our black history episode uh hope y'all came away learning something having any type of new insight or just kind of uh, you know, a conversation started free friends. So, uh, yeah, with that being said, we'll see you guys next time. Peace out. Oh, yeah, I'm reminded the way I put the work together.